love of God to the justice of God, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know how our, our lessons got stacked up like that, but I guess it's kind of our fault. <laughs> well, let's pray as we get into the justice of God. Father, we come to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray that you would just take the time we have now, Lord, and minister to us, Lord. Just bring your word to life. And we pray, Father, your spirit would just impart to every one of us that which we need to hear from you, Lord. And Father, we just uh, invite your presence now, and we thank you for your word and the power that it has, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we're going to look at the justice of God. And um, I was just thinking about, sometimes I like to watch forensic files, because there's really not a whole lot else to watch on TV, seems like. So I'll turn on crime shows, you know. And um, I love to watch how the detectives work with the, um, the forensic teams, and they get all this information together, and how they can figure out what happened and how it happened. And sometimes, like, a little piece of paint will link somebody to a crime scene or just a carpet fiber and they get down and they they figure those details out and uh, sometimes though they can't get it figured out for nothing and the case goes cold and maybe it never comes to justice it never gets solved and the people that are involved have been devastated their whole life because a loved one was taken from them Justice was never served. And I just thought, how awful that is. But you know, there's no cold cases with God. Everything uh, that happens, he judges. And he will bring to justice every work that has ever been done. There's no escaping it. God doesn't settle all of his accounts in one day, but one day he will settle all of his accounts. I think about um, about the Canaanites. Uh, the children of Israel were going to take over their nation, and God parked them in Egypt. He says, wait a minute, you're just going to have to wait there for like 400 years, because I'm giving these people time to repent. 400 years. I wouldn't have given them four minutes. But God gives them 400 years to repent, because he doesn't want to bring judgment God's not willing that any should perish. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he will not turn a blind eye. God will bring justice. And he gave those nations 400 years to repent. They did not. Justice was served. Um, The children of Israel went in and they took over the land. He is a God of justice. He's the God of law and order. Um, And he will judge sin. So I want to look at our study tonight uh, from three points. I want to look at the justice of God defined in Scripture, the justice of God delivered in Scripture, and the justice of God demonstrated in salvation. So let's look at the justice of God defined in Scripture. And I looked up in the dictionary first um, to see what's the dictionary definition of justice, and it is the condition of being morally correct or fair. Well, you know, sometimes... We're morally correct or fair. We try, but our problem is we're selfish. We're sinful. That's our nature. That's who we are. And nothing illustrates it's more than the two kids and one candy bar, right? 
you know, okay, let's split this thing, breaks it in half. Oh, that side's too big. Okay, we're fair now. You know, that's how we give justice. That's, that's our idea of fair. And um, I love what the scripture says in Psalm 7, verse 11. God is a just judge. God is angry with the wicked every day. He is just. He doesn't do justly. He is just. Justice flows from his nature. That's why he can't be bribed. It's coming from within. Um, He can't be uh, bribed or influenced from outside. Now, the righteousness of God and the justice of God are very closely linked. You need like a razor blade to separate them. And I found that out because I did the study on righteousness. And as I'm doing the study on justice, I'm like, wow. So I'm looking at the words, and the words are pretty much the same. So um, in Scripture, we have his righteousness um, and his justice uh, very similar in the words that are used. Uh, God's righteousness is described as... um, is his holiness in action and his justice is his righteousness in rule and government. But they both stem from his holiness. And so the words that are used in the Old Testament is the word sedek for righteousness. It means just, lawful, straight, or right. And it deals with God's moral and ethical standard as his nature and his will. Uh, So the Lord is just, he's impartial, he's unable to make mistakes, he's unwavering, and he's consistent in his dealings with men. And the other word that's used is mishap, and it means um, righteous judgment as a judge, the act, process, decision, or verdict. So God's judgment is always right, it's always just, and always fair. And the New Testament word is the same thing. Just depending on what's happening in the verse, it's going to be... um, Righteous, or it's going to be judgment. But the uh, the New Testament talks about uh, his word, the word dakaios, which means just, righteous, with reference to his judgment of men and nations. So he is a righteous judge. Now, if you think about uh, our society, a judge is someone with authority. He's a a man of authority and a man of power. In his courtroom, he rules, right? Whatever he says goes, and you just don't mess with the judge, right? Well, God is the judge of all the earth. He doesn't have a small space that he is this, you know, amazing authority and power. It is the entire earth for all people of all time. And as our creator, he has the right and the authority uh, to make laws for us, to hold us accountable to those laws, and to bring judgment when we don't live up to a standard. And then we think, okay, well, what is God's standard? It is perfection. He is his standard. Be perfect, for I'm perfect. And we were to keep his standard. We don't have to go very far in Scripture before we see the justice of God administered. First couple chapters. God's book, and boom, we've got justice. God uh, had given uh, Adam and Eve a beautiful garden to live in, 
And he says, I just have this one rule in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. So this was the word that they were being held accountable to, this rule. And what is the penalty? It's death. And that penalty for disobedience is consistent through Scripture. You eat the fruit, you will die. You disobey, you will die. The soul that sins will die. The wages of sin is death. It's consistent through Scripture. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, we see God's justice played out. Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit with some help from Satan. And um, we, we see God give his justice. And he gives it out according to his word. They knew what, what the command was, and so that is what they're judged by, the command of God. And um, every guilty party is punished according to their works. Each one is punished for what they did and um, in accordance. And I love it because in the midst of this judgment that we see God rendering justice with this group, we see his mercy. And you're going to find through scripture God's mercy and his judgment are connected so many times. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And God would much rather pour out his mercy than his judgment. And so God gives them at that time the plan of salvation. Uh, We find that the blood of an innocent animal was required to cover their sin until the perfect Lamb of God would come and take away the sin of the world and satisfy God's justice. Leviticus 17.11 says, um, For the life of flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. This is why Jesus' blood had to be poured out, because we are covered by that blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so uh, blood is such an important part of God's justice system. Now, we read that God's justice is perfect, in Deuteronomy 32.4, he is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. I love how this verse comes together, the things that it, it reveals to God. All his ways are justice. Everything about God is justice. It's right. It's correct. Everything he does reflects that absolute justice. His justice is unchanging, like all his other attributes. He isn't uh, just one day and not so much the other day. Um, Nothing fluctuates. I'm the Lord, I change not. Nothing about him changes. His justice is also not in conflict with the rest of his attributes. You know, for ourselves, some of the ways in which we feel and do things kind of conflict with one another. I think a a human judge might have conflict in rendering justice or judgment. Maybe they have to render a a death sentence, and they really don't agree with the the penalty. 
And so there's a conflict within them, like, oh, I have to go according to the law, but I don't really agree with it, and I don't, I feel so uncomfortable doing this. Not so with God. He will never feel uncomfortable. God doesn't guess at what's equitable and fair. He knows what is perfectly fair. Why? Because God judges according to truth. In Romans 2.2, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those that practice such things. And Psalms 96.13 says, He is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. And God has perfect knowledge of all things. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. And in Jeremiah 32.19, we read, You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. So God is able to search everything out. I think about those investigators trying to figure out exactly what happened. Well, I think the trajectory goes like this. We've got this blood splatter. That tells us maybe this happened. You know, they're trying to figure it out. God just looks right into the heart. You know, he doesn't see like we see. He doesn't see the outside. He sees the inside. He sees the heart. He sees the thoughts. He sees the motive. He sees the intent. All of it. There is nothing that is kept secret from him. You know, I think about the courtroom scene and how many times in a case evidence was withheld. Oh, we can't share that evidence, or that evidence can't come into play, or they can't give that information to the jury. And and a lot of information is just withheld. And with God, that is not so. There is nothing withheld. Every secret thing is at his disposal. Ecclesiastes 12.14, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. And so God judges according to our ways. And this is called retribution. It is the rendering to each one what is due, whether good or evil. This is an inescapable law of creation. God will see that each person sooner or later, receives what they deserve. Psalm 62.12 says, Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. The things that we do. God's judgment is equitable. It's also very personal. Nobody is going to stand before God in a group. You're not going to be able to hide behind somebody. You're not going to, you know, be able to scoot out of the way. You know, I love it. In our society, everything gets kind of judged on Facebook, right? You know, everybody throws their stuff out there. Well, God judges by Facebook. He looks at you in the face. He opens up his book, and you are judged. But you're judged correctly. God's judgment is equitable. It's personal. Jesus said in Matthew 12:36, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. That's a little scary, if you know what I mean. Every idle word, wow, it makes you want to just 
zip your lip, right? <laughs> How many conversations do we have? And blah, 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 blah. Who knows what we say? Every idle word. God's justice is also without partiality. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. And in Second Chronicles 19, 7, he says, Now therefore let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, no taking of bribes. He administers justice to those who are lightly esteemed, to those who this world does not take account of, to the fatherless, to the widow, to those that are helpless, to those that are hopeless. God will render justice for them. And if it is not in this life, it will be in the next. No one gets overlooked in his justice system. There is no wrongdoing in his justice because God's impartial. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't, doesn't matter to him if you're rich or you're poor or you're high in rank or low in rank. No one gets special treatment. God is holy and righteous. There is nothing that could ever be offered to him in a bribe that would appeal to him. What could you give God? Nothing. And he has access to absolutely every aspect of our lives. Like I said, there is no secret thing with God. Uh, We are accountable to him because he has revealed, revealed himself to us as our creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. Man is without excuse uh, because by the nature of creation, we know God exists. And he has given us an understanding of his moral standard. Everyone is born with a conscience. Now, you may sear that conscience. uh, You may ignore that conscience. But God has given a conscience as to what is right and what is wrong. Um, and he's dealt in history, and we can see the judgments of God throughout history. Hebrews 4.13 says, There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Every person has an appointment with God, and they will keep it. There is no canceling this appointment. It will be for judgment. Every person has to give an account to God. And you know what? Every person's state is hopeless unless you have taken refuge in Jesus. God's justice is twofold. It is um, punishing the wicked and rewarding the righteous. Romans 2, 6 through 11 says that God will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish to every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But 
glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So to those who are practicing ungodliness and do not um, submit themselves to the Lord, who are not looking to him, they will be punished. But the righteous, those who have come to Christ, those who walk with God, follow him and love him, there's going to be a reward. Don't you find it amazing that he not only forgave your sin, allowing you to come into heaven to live with him forever, but he wants to give you stuff, more stuff? He wants to reward you. Do you know that people that just give a little cup of water to someone in the name of Jesus, they will not lose their reward. He's looking for things to give you. He's looking for little ways to reward you. Don't we do this with our children? No, you want to bless them. You want to give to them. You want the best for them. And and how much more God with us? Hebrews uh, 6.10 says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you've shown toward his name, in that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. He will not forget. He's not unjust. He is going to remember everything that you did in his name for his people, for his glory, to honor him. I think about Jesus said, you know, to love your enemy. God is going to reward you when you pray for those that hurt you. And you do good to those who spitefully treat you. Great is your reward in heaven. 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul said, Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but all those who have loved his appearing. He's going to just lavish us with rewards. What did uh, Abraham say? He called God not only his shield, but his exceedingly great reward. And God has so much for us in heaven. Let's look next at the justice of God delivered in Scripture. Now, Psalms 9.16 says that the Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. So God is known by the justice that he executes. You can look in scripture and see a lot about God on how he dealt with different situations. Just like we said, Adam and Eve. God gave them the command, his word, his standard. They broke it. He called them in on the carpet. Uh, he, he gave them punishments and had to cover their sin. Think about the people of Noah's day. You know, we're told in Noah's day that the intentions of the thoughts of men were evil only continually. Men had forgotten God. They had forsaken God. And only Noah was uh, found grace in God's sight at that time. And this is how bad the world is. God sends uh, Noah to, to build a boat. He's going to save his family, and he preaches for a hundred years, a preacher of righteousness. He had no converts. No one took him up on it. The warning was given. Before God gives judgment, he always gives warning, and he warned the people. No one listened. 
And we know what happened there. It rained and rained and rained till no one survived. I think about Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. How they mistreated God's people. And um, they were plagued. They were plagued and all their gods that they trusted in and believed in were judged. And God's people finally made it out of there. But God brought such severe judgments on that nation, on its leaders, for what they did to his people. Nadab and Abihu, in the um, service of the tabernacle, God had given instructions. This is how I am to be worshipped. This is how you're to offer incense. This is how you're to uh, do things in the tabernacle, to worship me. Well, they got carried away, and they probably just got real emotional in, in all the, um, the serving of the Lord that day, and they just offered strange fire, things that, that God did not prescribe. And they went out on their own, and they got barbecued. Fire came down and burned them up. I mean, God's serious. Look at Korah. He rebelled against the leadership that God had put in place with Moses. And they wanted to take on the role that God had given to Moses. That was not their role. The ground swallowed him up. I mean, God is known by the judgment he executes. He's not kidding around. When God says don't do something, he he means it. If you cross the line, he's not like some people. You cross the line, you're going to pay for it. The children of Israel were constantly being warned, do not worship the gods in the nation that you're going to. Don't partake of their form of worship. They didn't listen. They got sent into captivity. And sometimes people will say things like, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament He's a God of wrath and a God of judgment. But you have to stop and think, well, wait a minute. If the God in the New Testament just all love, what happened to Herod when he was eaten by worms? He, he probably disagrees with you. And there is just as much in the New Testament about judgment. And Jesus gives so many warnings to us that we don't fall into that position Um, I think about Ananias and Sapphira. You know, there they were, selling a piece of property so they could look like they were giving all the money to the church and people would um, think they were so spiritual. Yet they kept back this part of the money for themselves, but they presented the money as if it was all that they had been given. And Peter asks them about it. Oh, yeah, that's, that's how much. And he says, why are you lying to God? God sees our heart. It's kind of a futile thing to do. But he made an example of them right then and there. They fell down dead. First Ananias and then Sapphira when she, you know, conspired with him. Herod was eaten by worms because he did not give glory to God. Elamis, the sorcerer, opposed the preaching of the gospel. He was blinded for what he was trying to do. The church of Corinth, many of the people had had died because they were irreverent in taking of the Lord's Supper. 
So the New Testament has plenty of examples of God's justice and judgment being done. And then we have the book of Revelation. What are you going to do with that? What about the God of love? You know, how do you get in there? But Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15, it speaks about the final judgment. See, God has is, is, is given us these examples of his judgment, but there's a final judgment coming, which I started to think about, and I thought, wow, what if you committed a crime and you had to spend 20 years in jail? And there you are. You have paid your debt to society. Well, you haven't paid your debt to God. You've had that miserable life on earth, and then you're going to stand before God in the final judgment, and you're going to get judged again. There's no double jeopardy. You're going to get get to pay for that sin all over again. Ugh, not a good thought. Um, but Revelation 20, 11 through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When final judgment comes, there will be no appeals, There will be no overturning of the sentence. God's judgment is final. Those not written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be uh, cast into the lake of fire, and it is an eternal death. But those who've received Jesus, they have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And Jesus will confess before God the Father, this one belongs to me. She's covered by my blood. She is holy and righteous. That's how he is going to present you to God, faultless. Isn't that amazing? Because we know ourselves. But Jesus died in our place, took on every sin. He's going to present you with joy before the Father, uh, faultless. And we're told that um, over those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that second death, it has no power. It has no power. Death has no sting for the Christian. But sometimes we don't see the justice of God on earth. We see people get away with things, and we think, why? God, why would you let this person get away with this? When you do not see swift judgment of sin, it doesn't mean God's not paying attention. Forbearance is not forgiveness. God gave the Canaanites 400 years to repent. He was extending them mercy, but judgment came at last. It was unavoidable. When you see the wicked getting away with sin, remember God might be giving them space to repent. And if they don't, he will bring judgment. If it isn't in this life, then it will be in the next. 
Um, I love Psalm 73. And I know I brought this up when I taught on righteousness, but the psalmist was so frustrated at how the ungodly were living their life in pleasure and just rich and no troubles, and they didn't seem to have any, any issues. He says, why is this? It just drove him crazy, and here he is trying to just please God every day with his life and chastening his soul. Well, in verse 16, he says, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. You see, their pleasure is short-lived. And we don't, we don't get that understanding on our own. We have got to go to God. When you're going through a situation that seems unfair, injustice has been done in your life, you've been hurt, you have to go to God to understand it. You can't wrangle with it on your own. God will bring justice. But what he needs you to do is to focus on him and to realize God has this in hand. You and I, ladies, we're not cut out for justice. Because you know what? We get vengeance. We get even. We pay back. And God says, you're not fit for it. Vengeance belongs to me. You don't get even. You do what's right. Keep your eyes on me. Remember, I'm the one that gets the justice. And you have to let it go there. Psalm 37, 1 through 4 says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. This is what you're to do. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You trust in the Lord in those situations. You let God deal with whatever's happened that's been unjustly done to you. Let him bring justice in his time and in his way. In the end, God is going to judge all, and God's will will be done perfectly. Let's look at the justice of God demonstrated in salvation. Uh, God has provided for judgment to be averted. Everyone has to be judged, but our judgment can be averted in Christ. Um, Isaiah forty-five twenty-one says, tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. So he's not just a just God, but he's a Savior. God doesn't want to bring judgment on man. And so we look at how mercy triumphs over judgment from James 2.13. Romans tells us God is just and the justifier of the one who puts their faith in him. Romans 3.20-26 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed 
being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who puts his faith in Jesus. So God demands perfect righteousness, right? And we're unable to produce that. There is no law we could follow. There is no uh, work we could do that would ever be enough. We're faulty. So in his righteousness, God made a way to justify the sinner by sending his son to be once and for all the sacrifice for sin. He was that perfect lamb. On the cross, God judged sin. Because remember, the wages of sin is death. And this is why Jesus had to die. Because that sin of that debt of our sin had to be paid for by death. So Jesus paid the price for our sin. Uh, And the justice of God was satisfied. That price was paid. The price was death. So Jesus, uh, God's righteous requirement was met in Christ. The full measure of God's wrath was poured out on Christ and our sin was judged so that those who trust in Jesus' death on the cross have their sins forgiven and they are declared righteous before God. That means they were justified, just as if they never had sinned. And it has been promised for those who accepted Christ As we walk through this life, we are going to continue to sin because we are faulty. And we're not going to be perfected until we get to heaven. We try and we work on it, but we are going to, we're going to fall. And he has promised us in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is the just thing for him to do because he promised that he would. So the believer will not be judged for their sins like the non-believer at the white throne judgment when those books are open and they're judged. Um, It's going to be different. The Christian is going to be judged at the Bema seat of Christ. And what we will be judged on is how we lived our Christian life. And so this judgment will affect our quality of life in eternity. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 speaks about our works, how we build on the foundation that God has in our life. Wood, hay, stubble, precious stones, silver, gold. What kind of material are we using in our lives? And the fire is going to consume everything that had a wrong motive. You know, because um, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And all that will get judged at that time. In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 9 through 10, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, 
according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we will stand before him, uh, before his judgment seat, and the, the, the things that we've done in our life, they're going to come in review. But it isn't that we will be sent for punishment, like the second death, but we will either be rewarded or we will lose a reward, and that will affect our eternity. Um, because you can have a saved soul and a wasted life because you lived your life for yourself. You didn't live for God. And so the things that you built in your life will be burned up. And so because we know these things, how are we then to live? God has justified us. Jesus has, has taken that sin upon himself. How does God want me to live in light of these things? Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. We are to do justly. That means we are to do what's right. We are to give all their due. Well, let me ask you this. What is God's due? What do you owe God? Jesus put it this way in Mark 12, 30 through 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That pretty much sums up your entire person. Everything that you are is to love God. This is the first commandment. The second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So we are to love God with all that we are, to, to seek his honor and his glory. So what is do our fellow man? This one's harder. It's, it's a lot easier to love God. But love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say like your neighbor, and I, I'm glad, you know, because sometimes... It's just hard, right? But love your neighbor. And it's, it's not by how you feel. Sometimes we just get that so confused. He didn't say, if you feel like it, when it's convenient. He says, love. Love is not an emotion only. It's a commitment. It's an action. You're to do him good, as you would have him do to you. You're not to treat your neighbor as he treats you. You're to treat your neighbor as you want to be treated. There's a big difference there. Proverbs 21.3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. You can give everything away. You can sacrifice all you have. But what's really important is that you live a just life. You live a right life. Psalms 50, verse 23. This is one of my favorite verses. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. I have to order my conduct. It doesn't just happen. You don't become a Christian and just have all these great thoughts and feelings and want to do the right thing. You have to order your conduct. I have to go to the Word of God. Okay, Lord, I need to love this person. Show me how to do it. Look through the scriptures. Memorize them. Think about them. Order my conduct, which wants to get even. And so I have to stop that conduct 
And one of the, the best ways to do that is in Philippians 4, 8, where he gives that list of what we're to think about. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just. Think justly. And that's a big key. We're not only here uh, to do what justice requires, but we're here to love mercy. Because why? We've been recipients of mercy. We're to go beyond being just, giving to each their due, and we're to be merciful. That means we're to go beyond and be kind and loving and gracious, even when it is not deserved. How do we do this? By walking humbly with our God. We recognize that he's so gracious, he's forgiven us, he's extended us mercy. In light of that, Lord, let me be a vessel of mercy. We humbly confess our inability and sometimes even our unwillingness to want to do it. Lord, I don't feel willing to do this, to be just, to be merciful. Please help me. I need your help. And you know what? God says, it's not by might. It's not by power. You can't do it. It's by my spirit. And God has been so gracious to fill us with his spirit. Oh, spirit, fall afresh on me again. Help me now to love mercy in this situation in my life that I am frustrated with, that I can't handle anymore. You fill me with your spirit. Let me be that vessel you want me to be. We can take comfort in the fact that he is a just judge. All matters will be judged by him. And when you see injustice, remember this. God sees things you do not. God is working a plan you don't know about. God is doing things you can't see. He is working out. His justice. Judgment might be delayed in a situation, but it isn't dismissed because God renders justice. You remind yourself that the judge of all the earth will certainly do right. And I, I love Romans chapter 12. It gives us a great exhortation to be that living sacrifice. And then he goes on to explain all the ways in which we should do this. And he sums it up with, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember, God is a just judge. And let us live our lives in light of that. And the next time you're holding the candy bar, you just give away that bigger piece. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are a God of justice, and we can trust that every situation will be judged by you in a right way, and that, Lord, we can just trust in you for all the things we do not understand. And, Lord, we give you all the praise and glory and honor for being that just judge who judges righteously every person and in every situation. Thank you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.